No matter where your business is in Canada, connectivity shouldn't be a concern. Whether your business is rural, remote, or urban, reliable, scalable internet is available to you and your business. Explore Business is expanding our network. With our extensive fiber, fixed wireless, and satellite networks, we're able to bring you the connectivity your business deserves, with the ability to grow right where you are. With investments in fiber and 5G technology, Explore Business is your new choice for business internet. Get connected with Explore Business today. Are you ready to clear a new path? Welcome to Clearing a New Path podcast, a space for the underrepresented voices in rural Canada. I'm your host, Shauna Ray. Each episode, we'll speak authentic truth because it's the truth that connects us. We'll examine issues, solutions, and hope outside of the city limits. Clearing a New Path podcast is an invitation to listen and learn along with me, on the road to building a more united, feminist, anti-racist rural Canada. One rooted in diversity and driven by reconciliation. Let's learn together, clearing a new path. I've spoken with Kurt Phillips from the Canadian Anti-Hate Network in a previous episode called Bias, Hate, and Extremism in Rural Canada Part 2. If you haven't listened to that episode, please feel free to do that, but it is not a prerequisite to listen to this one. It's about the organizations at play spreading hate and disinformation in the news deserts of rural Canada. This time, we're talking about the campaign specifically to overturn proclamations, pride events and flags, and the protests around drag story time in rural communities. Who are these groups and what is their end game? Kurt Phillips started doing anonymous online research into hate groups in Canada, but was doxxed in recent years, losing his anonymity. He's now a board member of the Canadian Anti-Hate Network He's also a high school teacher in rural Alberta. I've included in the show notes something called the Canadian Anti-Hate Network's Educational Toolkit. It's a government of Canada funded resource aimed at giving teachers and students the tools to address displays of hate on campus. When it comes to pride specifically, pride flags, drag story time, but also trans education and trans rights when it comes to schools. Who are behind these protests and how are they organizing? I think you're going to find that a lot of the people involved in the protests, the drag story time, uh, pride events, are same people we've been looking at over the past number of years who are involved in the uh, 
the anti-COVID lockdown, uh, or what they refer to as lockdowns. We never really even had lockdowns, but the anti-vax uh, people, those are generally a lot of the people we're seeing. So uh, I, I guess one of the interesting things, and I'm using interesting in, from, a, from a sociological point of view, but from a human point of view, it's really quite concerning, of course, is that the people who were involved in these events and as as you know Canada opens up as the as uh, you know even the World Health Organization has said that uh, it's no longer uh, a critical issue at this point you know keep an eye on it but you know it, it's not the critical issue it was as that kind of falls into the the rearview mirror these individuals and and the indiv- and the people who kind of motivate them are kind of looking for the next shiny penny they're looking for the next thing to be outraged about and that thing is, you know, anything related to LGBTQ plus issues. And we're seeing really, really frightening rhetoric surrounding that, referring to anybody who supports these events as pedophiles, groomers. And it's become almost a general insult at this point, um, which kind of suggests they don't really care about children. They just use these these terms as a general insult of their what they view as their uh, enemies, uh, political enemies. The people behind this uh, are often are quite often the same people we've been looking at for years. They just move on to a new issue. You ask how uh, they're organizing, and you know they're organizing primarily through again social media, as we saw during the pandemic. People who had been isolated in their homes, uh, they they weren't able to you know have the same kind of social experiences that they had prior to that, and as a result, they form new communities in, online. And, you know, one of the things we could find in these new communities is they, they create this echo chamber. Uh, so if you, you know, were sitting at home and you were looking up information about the, the pandemic and a few things got sent, you, you found a few things that questioned the efficacy of, of vaccines or uh, questioned whether or not we should be uh, shutting down businesses, um, you know, for the duration um, um, you start looking at those and then the algorithms start pushing more things to you. So eventually that becomes your world and that becomes the the real, you know, background uh, rationale for, for what you believe. And if you surround yourself with people who also believe that, you begin to feel that you're the norm. Um, just as an example, again, the, the people who were involved in the COVID, anti-COVID protests and the anti-vaccine protests, they genuinely believe they represent the majority of Canada. Uh, because they don't expose themselves to alternative viewpoints. Um, so when you hear somebody saying that, you know, can, you know, all Canadians or the vast majority of Canadians support us on, you know, vaccines, or in this case now, anti-LGBTQ plus issues, uh, they genuinely believe it because that's whom they surround themselves with. I think it's also connected very much to the American culture wars uh, that have really heated up. I mean, people thought they were over that, People have moved on, particularly when same-sex marriage was legalized. They they, they never were. And now that you have a, uh, a number of people in the courts, uh, particularly the Supreme Court, who are willing to overturn long-standing precedents, quite often for religious reasons, uh, they may not say so, but you, know, you look at the consistency of the courts, and that seems to be primarily the reason, you can understand why those people who you know, maybe thought they had lost the culture war, kind of realized, well, maybe we haven't. Maybe we could gin this up again. And it, it's a really strong motivator. Uh, people who 
are, you know, a fear. Fear is, again, a very, a very strong motivator. People who are frightened and, and told to be frightened, they will do what you want them to do if, if, if you scare them enough. I look to, historically, the, the Salem witch hunts. People were, were made to be terrified, and we see some terrible atrocities that resulted from that. Um, so I, I think if that's what we're looking at right now, um, it's, it's going to be uh, a lot of work to try to uh, get back to that point where uh, this is just background static rather than uh, a significant amount of people. Again, I want to stress, it's, it's really not a lot of people, but they're very loud and they're very, very aggressive in trying to force their will on, on, on the rest of us. Are there like specific organized groups that are organizing sectors across uh, Canada? Well, there are groups such as Save Canada, which is kind of led by those two young men in Ontario. Uh, I'm not going to name them because, I mean, I, I don't want to you know, give them any credibility. And I'm, I know there are adults behind that as well. Groups like Diagon are kind of, uh, you know, pushing it as well. Again, because it fits their idea of what a, a traditional society should look like. Uh, I see another a number of other hate groups that do it as well. But there are also evangelical groups that are, are, are pushing this. Ad hoc parent groups who are kind of associated with these these kind of movements have sprung up to to call themselves like the the real spokespersons for their, their schools, which they aren't. But again, they're they're very loud and very very passionate about it. And then you have some political parties that are, are using this as kind of a cudgel as well. So they tend to be the more fringe parties. So for example, you have the Alberta Independence Party, which uh, previously, you know, led by Artur Plowski briefly for six months until he got kicked out by his own party because he was too extreme even for them. You have the PPC, you have the, the party in Ontario, the Blue Party. So these, these fringer parties are, of course, pushing it. But you also have the, some of the more mainstream parties, such as the, the Conservative Party. You see some individuals in the Conservative Party that are pushing this as well, even though I don't think that the majority of Conservative voters even necessarily support these, these, these concerns that they have. They see it working in the United States. They see it as a motivator uh, for the most extreme within the, the conservative base, perhaps, that, and you know, if you're able to control that. Also, I live in a province in Alberta where the current premier has just recently talked about how she wants to kind of emulate Ron DeSantis in the United States, and which, given his attitude towards LGBTQ, the uh, don't say gay bill, uh, the censorship of, of, of books in, in schools that have anything to do with either racism or or same-sex relationships, or anything LGBTQ uh, plus, you know, that obviously raises a lot of concerns too. I know, and I believe you, that it is a small amount of people. However, they are making changes happen. And so for a little town in Ontario to ban rainbow flags and any other flags, and that will include Every Child Matters flags and any other group, from their town is a pretty major thing to happen. That is unprecedented in some areas. However, I remember when the mayor of London, Ontario, refused to recognize Pride, she uh, was taken to the Ontario Human Rights Tribunal and she lost. Ultimately, the city had to pay. So we're looking at mobilization by a small amount of people, however they are making change. And I think that that is the difference in the fear that 
that those of us that live in rural communities, we're regressing. And we were thinking that we were moving forward. The federal government has really lofty targets for bringing newcomers, specifically in Alberta, actually. There's specific streams to bring um, newcomers. And there's this resistance by, again, as we say, a small group, but they're actually successful because there isn't enough of us. We're just kind of, it's kind of like the Trump situation where you think, oh, he's never going to get in. You know, they're never going to be able to ban flags and, and they're doing it. And, and so I think that that is some of the uncomfortableness that many of us feel in rural Canada that's happening. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I'd agree with you. I think that, uh, uh, much like you see in, in, in a lot of these culture wars, they start at the very local. So school boards, for example, uh, rural communities, which already have a, a, a more conservative uh, worldview. And again, I will stress, and I think you, rec- you, you see this as well, it very much varies from place to place too. So I live in Alberta and in Drumheller, which is one of the most conservative parts, not just of Alberta, but actually of Canada. My hometown here in, in Drumheller, we... Uh, have 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 no problems with painted crosswalks and their flags during pride events. It does vary, but I think you're right that it is being, uh, especially the smaller communities where kind of the battles really truly being fought at this point. I mean, you know, the the big protests in the cities are the ones that get a lot of the publicity. They're the ones that are get covered in the media. But in those rural communities that already, as I said, have a bit of a conservative base, often an older population. Uh, you have people who are in government who, again, it's, it's you know can, it can be easier to get into elected office in, in in smaller communities as well. You have that kind of phenomenon occurring there, and it's a little bit more silent. You don't see it as as visibly unless you have, like you said, in a community which decides that there's going to be no political flags displayed, which I guess is ironic, given that you know the Canadian flag is in itself a political flag. But again, politics to them means you know, things they don't agree with. But uh, the Canadian flag represents everybody. So again, I I would imagine First Nations peoples would have a lot to say about the, you know, the Canadian flag representing them or people who've been marginalized over the century and a half that Canada's existed. Yeah, I I think that that's an accurate statement that that Canada, particularly in rural communities, we're seeing uh, more quiet, but it's being more effective because of the composition of some of these communities that exist already. The fact that rural communities, you mentioned it, they the bigger urban centers get the publicity and get into the mainstream media, quote unquote, and that is playing into the hands of folks in certain political groups. This is an element, I'm going to bring this in because it's. I think it's relevant to the conversation, is the head of the conservative party wrote a letter to Twitter and um, asked them to give the CBC a government-funded media uh, moniker. NPR got it, the BBC as well. But this is a ploy to discredit mainstream media. And folks in rural communities already feel underrepresented, already feel ignored. So this is playing into the hands of folks that are preying on that uh, loneliness, if you will, or isolation. What are your thoughts on that? To look at the example of the current attacks on media as 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 playing a really strong role in this. Uh, 
So you, you mentioned uh, uh, Twitter and CBC, of course, and, and all the other publicly funded uh, broadcasters, not just in Canada, but around the world. They have an ally in, in, in the richest, well, now the second richest man in the world. It's really coming off the, the, the mask. Uh, yesterday, he was replying to people who were pro- promoting like long discredited ra- information about racial violence. Uh, claiming that African Americans commit most of the racial violence in the United States, which is, you know, statistically and and visually not true, but he he buys it. And, and again, so you have the second richest man in the world who owns one of the most important, uh, uh, you know, avenues for dissemination of information. Now sharing that and believe in, and accepting this this is fact, uh, which kind of shows that you know being rich doesn't necessarily make you smart, not incredulous, I suppose. But I think too, I mean, you look at 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 in Canada the attacks on the media here, uh, both by the hate groups I cover, such as Diagon going after people like you know, for example, Rachel Gilmore, or the Conservative Party of Canada going after CBC, claiming that it has a liberal bias. Um, which is ironic, considering that the the board I think still consists mostly of Harper appointments, uh, if I remember correctly. But that doesn't matter. The it's it's been a long going uh, strategy by the the right to discredit the media because uh, they want to be able to you know share their narratives. We see what happens in the United States, right? So uh, you know the the example is of course Fox News and others that have come up since then. Fox News is still the nine hundred pound gorilla. Fox has been proven to be a political agent essentially for the Republican Party. They were caught explicitly lying about Dominion voting and 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 you know promoting Donald Trump's lies about the election because it suited their brand and they wanted to maintain their viewership. Uh, but also it supported the narrative of a political party. So you know a free and independent media uh, that is truly independent uh, and not tied to a political party, that's a threat to to people who want to control the narrative. They want to control the information that gets out. I would suggest the Conservative Party, especially the current composition of it and current leadership, they're looking at what hap- what's happened in the United States and they're doing that as a blueprint. Uh, they, they would very much like to have that in Canada uh, because, you know, controlling there, they see they see what happens when these, these echo chambers are created, when you're able to convince people that, you know, don't watch the CBC, don't watch Global, don't watch CTV, read the post-millennial, read Rebel Media, uh, watch Rebel Media, True North. Uh, this is the real information. That, that's, and, and, of course, you see the spin that's put on it. And, of course, these media are, are also pushing the, the anti-LGBTQ plus narrative as well. And as people uh, begin to, uh, you know, in, in, those, in those echo chambers and those bubbles, begin to adopt that rhetoric and, and, and begin to uh, take on that viewpoint, uh, you're going to see probably the Conservative Party specifically trying to follow that as well, because that's going to be a base of voters that's going to want. Uh, now, whether they're a minority of voters or, or not, that's, that in some ways it doesn't matter because they're the most active, too. And any political party wants to maintain their most active voters, the ones that are are definitely going to go up. And if their motive is, you know, hatred of a particular identifiable group, if you're an unethical uh, political party, you know, not saying the Conservatives are, you know, don't. You know, don't quote me, but if they were, uh, that might be a a group that they would aim to motivate. And we know that many are in rural Canada because they feel underrepresented and they feel themselves represented in Rebel News and in Post Millennial. They're, they're very much told that, I mean, 
it's it's us versus them. It's it's you know true Canadians in rural Canada against the the elitists in in the cities, the people who aren't really truly Canadian. And of course, there's a racial element to that too, right? So a lot of people who are new immigrants to Canada or have you know or have uh, racialized communities live primarily in cities. Uh, we're seeing more people coming into the rural areas, and uh, you know there are those that view that as a threat, uh, and they want to maintain. They, they, they may not talk about, they might not even believe in themselves, uh, although, you know, it's certainly the background information there. There is very much a racial element of, of trying to maintain, you know, what they believe is Canada for Canadians and and uh, what, what a true Canada really looks like. The rural areas, that's what true Canada really looks like. We're not like these these debased and, and uh, uh, cities that are, you know, they've I heard some refer to as Sodom and Gomorrah. It's so true. I did a an ad um, to you know tell people about a newsletter in the podcast and the woman in the ad had her back to the camera and she had a hijab and she was waving a piece of wheat in a wheat field and the comments that I got were very similar to what you're saying many many of them were about we don't want that kind of progressiveness in our rural community you know we have too many people coming to our rural communities. It, it is a, it's almost like an anti-growth mindset. And, and so there's so much at play in that though. We don't want progress, but we do, you know, want to keep our farmland and, and oh, by the way, we don't want to give up any of our land, but we do want development because we want to be able to retire here. So there's a lot of conflicting things going on in rural Canada. Again, it is like you say, Playing on that either not lack of knowledge, uh, lack of scope, lack of focus, those kind of things. And fear is an incredible motivator. If you're able to convince people that those people over there are, are trying to change everything about you and, and your culture and make it an alien uh, environment for you. Um, and, and, oh, they're after your children as well. There are people who will, who will, who will accept that as, as fact without really doing the requisite background information and, uh, and research, or or they'll simply just believe it, you know, uh, you know, because they'll look at the inf- they'll they'll find the information will confirm their 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 bias. I think that's you know the internet has been the uh, a great force for providing more information uh, at any time in human history, and it's also been a terrible force for making us you know dumber. Uh, it, it's it's really the tool that can be used for good or for ill, and. Um, particularly when you see the the attacks on LGBTQ plus uh, peoples, the attacks on drag events and on pride events, uh, the flag, of course, and and others too. Um, we're also seeing a lot of revisionism as well. So you know this is somewhat related, um, but I've seen a lot of people who are on the right uh, who are now questioning whether or not uh, residential school is a bad thing. Well, actually, I think it was a good thing. So there's actually been a significant amount of, well, I don't know how significant, but I've seen more and more of it where people are, are coming out and saying that uh, the residential school system was a positive, a net positive. I, I, there's one individual I remember, he, he posted a photograph of, of Indigenous children who were smiling at, at a residential school. And that was for him proof that, oh, things were really good because, I mean, look, they're smiling. And I responded, well, I could show you the the pool at Auschwitz. Uh, they also had an orchestra, so it must have been a wonderful like summer camp. That we recognize that's 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 uh, not true. 
and even in horrible circumstances, people can still find some joy. That doesn't mean the experience was a positive. But again, they're pushing this as a narrative, right? And we're going to see probably the same thing with LGBTQ plus issues. We already see some some examples of where it could go. Again, it could go in the direction of these people are dangerous predators and they'll they'll show, you know, very fringe examples, many of whom aren't even uh, members of the LGBTQ plus community, but they'll use those as examples of, of like these people are dangerous predators and why they want, why do they want to be in our schools? Why do they want to be in our, our libraries? They, they're up to something. Uh, why do they want to go into the bathrooms uh, of, of their you know, their choice. Um, they're, they're after us. Again, it doesn't matter that most people who abuse children are, are cis males, right? It, it, that doesn't matter to them. If they were really looking for threats, they'd look for people who were actually the threats. That's one direction it's likely going to go in, but there are other directions as well that I've seen others saying, well, gay people, they've already gotten all the rights. They don't, they don't, we don't need to deal with this anymore. We could just, you know, you know why do we have uh, any, any day? Uh, veterans only have a day. We're giving these people a week, a month, a year. Uh, you know, we should just go back to Canadians being Canadians. And, you know, they got all the rights that they, they, they wanted. So let's not just, you know, let's just move on now. So we're seeing, I'm, I'm seeing that too. So whatever directions can take, it might be a combination of those, in fact. Discrediting the atrocities and the trauma through residential schools. Are there other issues that, that you're seeing get getting pick up on Twitter and other social media platforms? These groups, they they go from, from issue to issue, right? So uh, these, this, I think I even mentioned the last time I was on, uh, the people who we saw involved in the anti-vax uh, protests, the co- convoy in Ottawa, many of them were involved in earlier movements. So in 2015, when the Liberals were elected and they, they agreed to bring in more Syrian refugees, uh, and I would stress not even a lot. I mean, it was, it was you know, it, people made a huge deal about, oh, look how many Trudeau's bringing in, look how, it, it, compared to, to, to Harper, it wasn't actually significantly much more. There were movements uh, at that time, you know, groups like the Soldiers of Odin sprang up and and Pegida, because these people were trying to bring an alien religion to our culture. Uh, never mind Christianity evolved in the Middle East as well, but, you know, let's let's move on from there. But again, you had these kind of movements spring up. Uh, then you had the Yellow Vest movement in France, which at the time was more of a, a leftist movement, but in Canada it was very much adopted by the right. So the same people were involved in those protests have previously been members of like Pegida or 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 three percenters. Uh, then they moved on to the anti-vax and anti uh, uh, anti quote unquote lockdown issues. Uh, COVID is a is a fraud. It's not real. It's all you know. Wef's effort to control us and George Soros. I mean, with with that particular uh, dog whistle. Um, then it's now it's moved into this. So. I think one of the lessons to take from this is that when it, when they decide that this issue is over, they're not going away. They're going to move on to something else. But in terms of of other issues that we're seeing, of course, uh, you know, the anti-immigration issue never goes away. You know, as a result of uh, concerns about Chinese government infiltration in the Canadian government, we're seeing a kind of a rise in anti-Asian. Uh, 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 rhetoric again, just like we saw it in the early days of the pandemic, uh, people of Asian heritage were being targeted. Uh, we're seeing that again with this. Uh, just recently, a member, a pretty prominent member of a, of a of well-known hate group, Diagonon, uh, did a stream in which he uh, talked about, uh, you know, why are these Chinese and Indians coming here? Uh, they're not real Canadians. They should go back where they came from because they're making our country worse. Uh, of course, this was a group that gets really upset when you call them racist because they're not racist, except that they're very much racist. The last time we ended on a note of hope. Let's do that this time. What are you hopeful for in this uh, turbulent time? 
I think it's hopeful that whenever we see these protests occur, um, the counter protests are significantly larger, often in the case of like 10 to 1. And that really very much discourages the, the people who are organizing the anti-LGBTQ uh, plus protests. And we're up against paid protests. George Soros is paying them. Uh, and of course, you make the joke that, well, I haven't got my check yet, so he's really behind. The fact that people are coming out to defend their community uh, and recognizing LGBTQ plus are their community, they're part of their community. I think that's really heartening. The fact that people are looking at these individuals and these groups and standing up to them and saying, no, we're not going to allow you to dictate what our community looks like. Uh, we're not going to allow you to say uh, this is only the only way a community should look. Uh, you know, this is it's much broader than that. And I, I'm really heartened by that. Every time I see a protest and I look at the counter protests, which is usually having a lot more fun, it, it kind of give, brings a smile to my face because I realize that, you know, people and I genuinely do believe this, I think I think people are inherently good. Um, I think a lot of people sometimes are, are misguided and misinformed. Most people are good. And I even have hope for those people who are in those protests. I, I think I've seen numerous examples of people who come to realize that they're, they've been, you know, they're wrong, that they're, the, the, the rhetoric they've been using is wrong. Uh, the, the attitudes they've been having about other, other Canadians, their fellow Canadians are, is wrong. So I have lots of hope. I think the people of Canada are, are generally good and that ultimately uh, these groups you know, they don't win. They might have temporary victories. Uh, they might have momentary uh, events where they can, you know, where, where it's discouraging, but ultimately they don't win. Uh, we do. That's a great place to end. Thank you again for your knowledge, expertise. Um, I really appreciate it. Always. Want to keep the conversation going? Subscribe to the Clearing a New Path newsletter, drop me an email, follow the podcast on social media, and or you can leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Clearing a New Path podcast artwork is supported by the graphic design of Katie Wilhelm, and the music branding is by The Hankering Studio. The podcast is produced by Radar Media in Thames Centre, Ontario. It is the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, and Mississauga or neutral peoples who once used this land as their traditional beaver hunting grounds. The First Nations communities closest to the studio are Chippewa of the Thames First Nation, Oneida Nation of the Thames, Muncie Delaware First Nation, and the Chippewas of Kettle and Stony Point. I will speak to many more people across Turtle Island this season, and as a settler here, I'm committed to deepening understanding of colonialism, the TRC's calls to action, and to reframing responsibilities to land and community. I am grateful to Mother Earth and Creator for the opportunity for love and connection, and to the spirits of the elders and the medicine people who still walk the earth. Until next time, 